Hey, super friends, and welcome to episode 23 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. My name is Neil, and I am here with Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. You nearly jumped the gun there. You got all excited about your little catchphrase. How are we today? Well, thank you. <laughs> Good. Uh, and what are we going to be telling the lovely listeners at home about this week? Oh, I don't know. It's behind me. <laughs> I just like to tease you. Uh, so we have a little news roundup of things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Reviews this week. Uh, film review, we're talking about Ad Astra. We're also reviewing episodes two and three of Titans season two. And for a comic book review, I'm going to be talking to you about a new release coming up from Black Spot Comics, which is called Odyssey. We've also got an interview with the uh, creative team behind that comic book, which is going to be really cool. And then finally, for our discussion topic this week, because we're reviewing Ad Astra, we asked you to tell us what your favourite Brad Pitt movies were. So we look forward to hearing what those are. You better put your thinking cap on and decide what yours is. I'll wing it, it'll be fine. (laughs) Okay, so, news this week. First up, I wanted to mention uh, the DC TV box set releases. Uh, So, last week we had Arrow Season 7 arrived on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK. This week we have uh, The Flash Season 5 and Supergirl Season 4. And then uh, Legends of Tomorrow doesn't actually arrive until November. There's a little bit of a wait for that one. But for now, you can grab your copies of Flash, Arrow and Supergirl from the Warner Brothers store. We got some neat little copies to review, so we've been having a look through. We just rewatched uh, Elseworlds, the three-part crossover from this year, and a really cool behind-the-scenes discussion that's hosted by Hector Navarro from DC Daily, for those of you that watch DC Universe. He sits down with the showrunners for each of the different DC TV shows, and it's about 45 minutes long, and they just dive into the reasons why they chose now to do an Elseworlds story, how they developed the story, how they developed the character of Batwoman and brought her in, casting Ruby Rose, and some of the bits and pieces about filming the crossover as well. It's a really cool little watch and a nice bonus feature. You can also pick up Gotham Season 5 on DVD and Blu-ray, which is available now. That came out in July, and all four of those series are already available on iTunes. In filming news, we found out that Marvel's The Eternals is shooting now in the UK. So there were some pictures in the press of uh, Angelina Jolie looking very blonde. It's quite a spoilery scene. She's not in her costume, but she's wading into a lake somewhere, tossing some ashes aside. So clearly someone's going to uh, pass away that's quite close to her character at some point. But we hadn't realised that that film was already shooting. So that was quite interesting to see that they're already up and running. And there are some rumours that actually they've been doing some studio photography already for a few weeks and this is just the first time they've been spotted out in the world so they may well have been filming for a little while we also found out this week that uh james gunn's the suicide squad has started filming somebody asked if it was actually due to start filming on uh well monday just gone which would be the the 23rd but actually he announced that it started filming on friday so they're already shooting and uh Obviously, we also got the huge cast announcement for this one as well. So people have been teasing him for a little while, saying, when are you going to announce the cast? When are you going to tell us who's in it? When are you going to confirm all of these rumours? And he said, you know, wait, we need to get this right. And then one night, whilst we were uh, at the podcast festival in London with Nicola and Chris, he went and announced that whole cast. So we have uh, a few people that we already knew. So returning are Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, obviously, and um, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. So we know that those four are all coming back from Suicide Squad. 
so those are the returning cast members from the previous film. We also got final confirmation that David Das... I'm not going to pronounce this right. Das Malshane? I wanted to call him Dashelmane, uh, is in. He will be playing Polka Dot Man, as we know. John Cena is now confirmed to be in the cast. Uh, we also have Joaquim Cozio, Nathan Fillion from Firefly, and Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog in Castle. We've got Mei Ling Ng, Flula Borg, who we know from Pitch Perfect 2, so that rumour is now confirmed. He was the male lead in um, Das Sound Machine. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Sean Gunn, who is James Gunn's brother, is going to be in. Uh, that's no surprise, really. Juan Diego Boto. Don't know who, we don't know who half these people are playing. He's also said that he won't confirm who their characters are. We've got Storm Reed, Pete Davidson, not Peter Davidson, as in the Doctor Who, which would be interesting because we also have uh, Peter Capaldi confirmed on the cast. Taika Watiti, the director of Thor Ragnarok, is now confirmed to be in this. That was a late rumour. We've got Alice Braga, Steve Agee, Tanashi Kajesi, again, probably really badly pronouncing these names, Daniela Melchior, uh, Peter Capaldi, who I just said, Julio Ruiz, Jennifer Holland, Idris Elba is now confirmed, as is Michael Rooker, who's a long-term uh, collaborator of James Gunn. There's a huge cast. But then we don't. We also don't know the storyline for this film, so we don't know if these are all going to be people that could be members of the Suicide Squad, how many of these people are the, I say in air quotes, villains that are not the anti-hero villains of the piece. The protagonists. Yes. Well, the protagonists would be the heroes. You mean the antagonists. Yes, that's what I said. So we got that one, which is really cool. I'm really excited for that one, and it's good to know that they're now filming. Uh, it was confirmed this week that Birds of Prey has finished its reshoots, so poor Margot Robbie hasn't had time to wash the tattoos off before she hops from one film shoot to the other. Well, it's just a bit more economically, isn't it? Interestingly, the Birds of Prey reshoots only seem to have redone a couple of scenes. They've done a lot of shooting outdoors at night, so a lot of it's been captured by the press, and most of it is one sequence where she jumps from a motorcycle to hanging onto the back of Black Mask's car. It's a scene that we saw them filming when they did it the first time around where she's wearing roller skates. So she's kind of roller skating along, holding onto a car. But that seems to have been the main thing that they've been reshooting. They've been doing it for about three weeks of just night shoots of just her roller skating constantly. There's all these press photos of Margot Robbie in the uh, in that gold suit that she's wearing in the teaser um, and her rollerblades. Other huge news that we got this week would be the confirmation of not just one Smallville alum for Crisis on Infinite Earths, but two. So first we got the news that Tom Welling is completely now confirmed officially to appear in Crisis as Clark Kent, possibly Superman, from Smallville. And the only tidbit that they would give us is that it will catch us up on what he's been doing since Smallville ended, which kind of sort of means he has to wear a suit at some point. Preferably not a CGI one. And of course, alongside Clark, we also got the confirmation that Erica Durant will be returning as Lois Lane, which is really nice and exciting as well. It'd be great to see what the two of them have been up to since uh, since Smallville ended. It must be sort of around eight years, I think, since it ended. It ended not long before Arrow started, so it's going to be about the eight, nine year mark. 13th of May 2011 was the last episode that aired. Ah, thank you very much for that one. Uh, that was some quick Googling. I did really do you i just remembered that oh, of course uh can you remember much of the finale of smallville um yes at the very end he ripped his shirt open and he was wearing the superman costume from superman returns well done well done if i had a mic i'd be dropping down on the floor how much else of smallville can you remember 
It had a really cool theme tune. And I had forgotten that that theme tune was in Elseworld. So that now feels slightly confusing in context because they kind of attached that theme tune to Tyler Hecklin's Superman, but actually that's not true because that's not the Superman from Smallville, so now he kind of has to earn his theme tune back. Cool to see more names though. Uh, no Michael Rosenbaum confirmed to return as Lex Luthor yet though. That's kind of the big one people want. If they want Tom Welling back, they want Michael Rosenbaum back as well to see what that Lex Luthor's up to. They've got to keep everything. So they've got to have some secrets and little surprises. Like, oh. You'd, yeah, they can't announce everyone. Nobody uh, nobody rushing to bring back Chloe, however. And that's it for the news this week. Let's talk about some reviews. Just to warn you all, as always, there will be spoilers. First up, Titans. So since the last time uh, we recorded a podcast, there's been two episodes of Titans. Episodes two and three of season two. So episode two was called Rose and episode three was called Ghosts. Let's start with episode two. We don't have a trailer because they're not doing trailers, which I thought they wouldn't. But we do have a little clip, so I'm going to play that first. So here is uh, Jason Todd and Gar, Beast Boy, sparring alongside Raven slash Rachel in Titans Tower. When I give the word, come at me. And don't hold back. Did you just nod? Yeah, got it. Just, uh... Don't hold back. Go! You said, don't hold back. Should I get the hose? What's going on? We did what you said. The blindfold thing? Anyone nuts on me? He said, don't hold back. Then why do you even learn to fight like this, man? Hey, it's idiotic. We have eyes. In battle, anything can be taken from you. Your hands? Your feet? And your eyes. So, first thoughts on Titans Series 2, Episode 2, Rose. It was a wonderful season opener. <laughs> yes, it was. If a little bit short, at only just under 41 minutes long, I was quite shocked by how short this one was. And I was very upset. I want them to be a good 57... 57 minutes? 90... <laughs> 120... As long as possible. Well, episode three was 47 minutes long, so that was a little bit better. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah, you were right. This does feel very much like a season opener, unfortunately. But um, a good one, nonetheless. Oh, yeah, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. I really liked the story of this episode. I thought this was quite mature storytelling for Titans. Um, I thought it balanced out all of its characters really quite well, uh, given that if you think about season one and you look at an episode like, say, Donna, or you look at Jason Todd, where it brought in new characters or where it focused on a particular character, it did that by dropping everyone else 
So like Donna Troy, there wasn't anyone else in Donna Troy after he left the Titans. You only saw the two of them together and then you're kind of villain of the week. Whereas this episode focused on introducing Rose, but you still saw everyone. Like the whole of the main cast were in this episode and they all had their own storylines. I thought it was balanced really well. Mm, so we're starting to build them up and bring them together. We did. It was just I what I'm sorry, what I meant by that was just I thought it was a different type of storytelling for the show and I thought they it was it was nice to see them try something different and do it very successfully. I suppose series one they were setting the characters up. Yeah. Giving them They've a, got a bit more breathing them, space now. Giving them a bit more of a backstory ish. Yeah. And now we're getting to the good stuff. It didn't really waste a huge amount of time in starting to bring them all together. No, it didn't, because then we've got Dr. Light. Who I really liked. I really liked the introductory scene. I thought it was nice and subtle the way you knew who'd broken him out of prison, but only if you were listening carefully enough. It wasn't kind of spoon-fed to you as an audience. Um, And I thought that scene looked quite Suicide Squad-esque. It reminded me of Joker's breakout from Arkham Asylum a little bit, just the way it was shot and the way the prison was laid out. Yeah, it was very dark, wasn't it? Yeah. Lots of bodies. Yeah. I really like the special effects around how he sucked the light out of the filament lights as well, and the way it kind of almost looks like circuit boards on his arms. Because he's got those weird tattoos. That all like yeah. That. I thought it was quite... I, I really liked the way that was done. Who would you say was your favourite... I want to say pairing, but I suppose some of them were groups and some of them were pairs, in terms of the main cast? Donna and Corey. Okay. And why Donna and Corey? I don't know. I, I quite like their scenes together. It was it was very serious yet playful at the same time. They're two great characters. They're both written really well, and it's nice to see that Corey's moved on a bit, and that they didn't just do a Rachel sent her dad away and her wig has changed, but actually made a joke of uh, listening to We Are Family and saying like, "Can we listen to music from another decade, please?" Like life does move on. Um, I quite liked that. There was some good comedy in there as well as some quite good action as well yeah you picked up pretty quickly on the fact that almost everything in the trailer for this has happened in the first two episodes yeah everything we've seen has happened now apart from the flashbacks apart from the flashbacks oh no we've seen them as well haven't we no we've not seen aqualad yet we've not seen that's this week's episode four but we've seen dick and jason fight yep We've seen Slade. 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 Yes. Slade in the We've tunnel. We've seen Shimmer. Yes. What a stupid name. <laughs> and she actually shimmered. She did. <laughs> but it's really, it's quite a nice thing to have her in that episode because her and Dr. Light were always sort of combined as a duo. Are we saying that Slade is recruiting the formidable five? What were they called? You told us about them in a previous episode. Oh, the Fearsome Five? Fearsome Five, that's it. Are yeah, because we... that was what Dr. Light, Shimmer, and her brother, Mammoth. Uh, not a character that's been announced, but we could be talking about that potentially coming in. But again, they're all sort of Hive members as well, and we've got a, we've had a nod to Hive. Oh, that's episode three. Oh, sorry, I'm getting Cool your jets. Cool your jets here. Well, let's talk about the most exciting thing in episode two. Uh, let's just cut to Donna. I was like, oh, I just have to take this phone call. Oh, no, the name was mentioned first. So the first scene was when uh, Corey gets in the van and she's like, Shimmer is not going to turn up tonight. And Donna just says, Ugh, Roy Harper's intel must be wrong. And then it's later on in the episode where her phone rings and she's like, Oh, I just need to take this. And then we happen to see the phone screen. Very exciting. Fun fact. Uh, how was Donna first introduced 
in Titans. Oh, via phone. Yes. So the first time we ever heard of Donna was in episode two or three of season one, when uh, I think it might have even been episode two, uh, when Dick pulled out his phone to call Alfred and scrolled through his phone book and you saw the name Donna Troy. Are we going to get Roy Harper? That would be very exciting. So she then turned up in episode, what, sort of six or seven to maybe episode six yeah. or seven, we might meet Roy Harper. Well, but they would have announced that as a casting, surely. They've announced everybody else. Like you just said about Crisis on Infinite Earths, you've got to keep some surprises. That's true, they've announced a Superboy and an Aqualad. Where's Superboy? He's been hidden away. Uh, we're not going to meet him until mid-season, so episodes, oh, episode six, sorry, to spoil my previous theory, uh, I think is the episode called Connor. I think four, five, and six episode titles are now confirmed as uh, Aqualad, Deathstroke, and then Connor, I think. Oh, okay. I'm not quite sure about that Deathstroke episode. Can't quite remember five off the top of my head. Um, yeah. I think my favourite grouping was probably actually the Teen Titans. Which I see I mean, what you did there. Yes. Uh, well, you get that nice scene with Rachel and... Uh, Dick, although I, I was going to try and say the name that the guy in the coffee shop gave him, but I couldn't quite remember then. Dirk. Dirk. Dirk and Rachel. Um, where she's like, oh, what are we going to call ourselves now? Are we Titans the Next Generation? The New Titans? And I was waiting for her to go, the Teen Titans. And I was like, come on, you can say it. But she didn't. But then I really like the scene that we just played before we started talking about this, where they, they were all kind of training together. That was quite cool. And then Jason is really turning out to be a bit of a... Uh, a dick. Yes, this season. Which I know is how he's supposed to be, but at the same time I still want to like him. But you're not supposed to because that's why everybody voted for him to die. Greatest thing that ever happened to that character. It's true, it is. A crowbar. <laughs> A crowbar. And now he needs to meet Roy and then have to become besties. Yes, exactly. Um, but I just really like... I Again, I've, I've beaten this drum quite a lot but i just think the writing is a million times better this season which is saying a lot when i already loved season one and i just think everyone was written really well and i liked so i like the stuff where they're training i like the stuff once they got rose into the tower and dick was kind of being the mentor figure again the way he is a bit of a mentor figure to the others as well the way he also slightly manipulated jason uh by saying to him the others look up to you um i'm not robin anymore Although for Jason to then say, if I'm Robin, then who are you? And you're just like, he's Nightwing! Just say I'm Nightwing! Uh, but doesn't look like he's going to be wearing that costume until the end, if you've seen this week's leaked set photos and videos. They're no. still filming, and he's now in the costume. Why are they... Surely they're finished. Is this for a crisis, or are they just finishing off? Well, the scenes that are... And this sorry to digress, by the way, Super Friends, uh, but the scenes that have been shot that people have now got footage of which there's a very funny set video that's come out overnight and it is literally a girl hiding in a bush just off to the side of where they're filming and you can see security being like can you put your phone down and she's just literally hiding in a bush and she like lifts the camera up she's like i'm not i'm not a person i'm a bush i think at one point she actually says i'm like poison ivy yeah <laughs> um i'm just a friendly chipmunk with a camera the scenes that they're filming at the moment i've got um Dick in Nightwing costume, Superboy wearing fingerless gloves uh, to just amp up that costume a little bit more. Hank, Dawn, uh, Corey. I don't think off the top of my head that Donna's there. Rachel, uh, Gar and Jason are all not there. 
but Ravager's there at Rose and she's in her full costume and they've gone full on like she's got the part eye mask as well uh, so she's there um, don't know all that I've seen them film is them walking up and down the street through smoke very intriguing very yes but back to this week's episode um, anything that you didn't really like so much no <laughs> stupid question obviously um, the end maybe that it ended yeah, that was a shame. I mean, it was only 40 minutes. So. It was a great place to cut off the episode as well, that they figured out who Rose was, and then the, the back computer was like, ah, Rose Wilson, she's the daughter of Slade Wilson. I would love if the computer went, Slade Wilson. What did you think about the introduction of Rose? Yeah, I thought it was good, it was exciting. She was, you know, scared, lost, badass. Yeah, I really liked the uh, the chase. So start with the chase sequence where she was in the car. I thought that was filmed really cinematically, actually. It reminded me a bit of the um, some of the car chases from Chris Nolan's Batman films, in a way. Yeah, I was expecting a, a bat hovercraft to come out of yeah. the, a sideway. <laughs> um, and then the rooftop was really cool as well. You could, I mean, it was slightly obvious that she was on wires for some of it, but um, some really good fight choreography. Yeah, especially when she kind of crashes through the, the boardroom window. Yeah. This season is definitely, and we'll say it again when we talk about episode three, but there's some really excellent fight choreography this time around. Again, not that there wasn't last time, but they definitely are taking everything to the next level with this season. Didn't get a huge amount of her backstory, I suppose, but we're unravelling things slowly. I was expecting the way that it was sort of playing out, you thought, oh, he knows who she is. Yeah, I thought that too. So when he saw her on the screen and they were kind of all looking and they're like, who's that? I thought, oh, he he knows who she is? Because he very specifically went out and sought her out afterwards. Yeah, but then he didn't. No. So that was, that was a little bit of a head-scratcher of a moment. But I guess he was just looking at it and thinking, oh, it's a super-powered person. His natural instinct now is, oh, metahuman, collect. <laughs> oh, young girl, looks in trouble. I bet I can fix that. Uh, Donna, not Donna, sorry, um... Dawn does comment that he's a bit of a sucker for a lost cause in the next episode, doesn't she? Well, it's just very classic dick, though, isn't it? Yes, I suppose so. Good special effects, like uh, exploding cars, exploding... Uh, oh, we haven't touched on Hank and Dawn. Um, um, how did you feel about their storyline? I do love Hank and Dawn. It's very sad. So this, I mean, it's a bit weird that we've just sort of shoehorned his addiction right in there. That seems to have come from... I, I say it's come from nowhere. When you think back to Hawk and Dove and Hank and Dawn episodes last season, you knew he had a thing for painkillers, and she talked about how many injuries he'd had in the last 12 months, didn't she, when she first saw Dick again. She was like, oh, slip disc, herniated, whatever, blah 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 And so clearly we were kind of saying, this guy's been well beaten up. But it kind of sounded more like we were just saying, he's really beaten down by being a hero, and he kind of has to live on painkillers. And then in episode one... His nightmare sequence, you saw him shooting her up. With heroin. Yes, with heroin. Not with a gun. Not with <laughs> no, not with a gun. I thought you were going to go to a very weird place then. Um, and then all of a sudden now we're saying he's a recovering addict who needs to run a horse farm. For other addicts. For other addicts. Which was an admirable thing to be doing for their one patient. Well, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do like their storylines. Um I did like the fact that he's trying really hard to get better and Dom's yeah. like, you know what, I'm going to go and It's interesting up. because actually, uh, did you did you look at that the first time you watched that episode and think this isn't what I 
expected from her. I would have expected this from him. No, I think it makes sense because of her trauma. Because, you know, she was in a coma. Maybe she feels like she's got something to prove to herself. Or but What it made me think was it made me go back to the flashbacks in Hank and Dawn. Because when they went to his coach's house, once they were together, uh, and he was kind of beating up the coach, he told her to leave and she refused. And she was the one that shut the door. That was like that symbolic moment that we're going to do this. So actually, I kind of now feel like she's the one with the problem when it comes to uh, violence. She's got a bit of an edge. Yeah. I love the scene where she went after the um, the meth lab. Particularly the bit when she broke the guy's leg. Well, several times. Yes. <laughs> she just she just went for it there. And then she was like, tell the policeman he'd been a bad boy. Yes. Uh, there's something about her voice that I really like. There's something about the way she... I don't know if that's... I've only seen a couple of interviews with her, so I don't know how she how her normal voice is from great experience. But there's something about the way that she does Dawn's voice, which is very soft but strong at the same time and I find it incredibly believable it's almost quite soothing in a way yeah there's just something about it to expect her to do like a mindfulness tape or something yes exactly exactly take a, take a deep breath back away from the drugs <laughs> I'm just going to slash you with my wings yeah hiya is that is that her fight noise it could be it's a very polite fight noise yeah god I almost slipped into my work voice there oh don't do that Whatever you do, don't do that. All right, so uh, let's let's think about moving on to episode three. So, any final thoughts on episode two? Loved it. Scores out of ten. Rational scores out oh, of ten. Sorry, I was about to call it twelve. <laughs> uh, rational score seven and a half. Okay. Eight. Eight. Final number eight. It's a Simpsons quote. Number eight. <laughs> number eight. Number eight. That's enough. So, episode three of Titans was called Ghosts. So this one brought all of the Titans back together uh, and started to explore some of the backstory and some of the reasons why Titans Tower was closed down the first time round and a reluctance from Donna, Hank and Dawn to sort of return and really starting to just sort of chip away at the classic Titans and find out what was going on in the background. So a few revelations in this episode. Firstly, confirmation that Jericho's dead. And it seems that he was killed by his father. Uh, and the Titans all thought that Deathstroke was dead. So that was a bit of a shocker when they all saw him in video footage for the first time. Uh, what other reveals did we have in this one? We had a bit more of Corey's past. Oh, yeah, this one. So I was actually really worried that we were going to do a Titans season one thing here and that we wouldn't see Corey for a while and that it wouldn't get picked up. Um but obviously we mentioned it when they arrived at Titan's Tower. The first thing that Rachel did was ask Donna where, where Corey was. And she, you know, she said, oh, she's just disappeared. Of course, she has no idea at this point why she's disappeared. Uh, so I was a bit concerned that that wasn't going to get picked up for a while. Or it would just be like a scene at the end of the episode. You'd see her wake up wherever she was and be like, oh, what's going on? But actually, it came in pretty early on in the episode. It's going to be interesting to see where they take this because I'm not convinced that they've got the budget to take her into space. They've announced Blackfire. I can't remember. They've not said what episode she's coming into, but guest casting has been announced for for that role. So we now know that someone is playing her and she will be in it. Okay, that'll be interesting. Yeah, so it's not been confirmed what episode, but um, Canadian actress Olanike Adelie will be playing Blackfire. Don't know if it's a recurring role or a one-off, but she's definitely in the season. It might be maybe like a one-off or one or two recurrence. Yeah. I really liked the guy that was playing her kind of guard that's in this one. 
the royal vizier or something yeah they had a quite a nice dynamic and i like that they wrote that in that he was the one that came after her because he had a connection to her and it wasn't just some nameless tamaranian that was after her it gave it a little bit more context i think and helped i think it helped overall to drive home the point that she's an alien because we've got a lot of people with powers in this show but we don't really have any aliens per se and because we haven't been to space even though we've seen her ship i don't often think of her as an alien and this helped to drive that home a little bit yeah and i was like can i humanize her a bit as well because and it sort of gives you a bit more insight into the person that she is when they talked about the hierarchy of yeah there were some good insights into that which you weren't exactly ever going to get in teen titans go no no you will not um, so be interesting to see there's a really nice storyline in Red Hood and the Outlaws in the new 52 series where it goes back to her backstory completely. Yeah. About how she's sort of sent, you know, traded for peace into the prison country and how she then be- almost becomes like the rogue in space with her own ship and like a warrior princess and stuff like that. So be interesting to see if they do something, if they touch on elements of that or where, where they're going to go with her backstory. Yeah, yeah, it will be. And how this will link in with series one where she was on the hunt for Rachel and Trigon. Might end up just being forgotten about. I've got a feeling it will be forgotten about or explained away. Yeah, because really what they have to come up with is a legitimate reason for them to send her from Tamaran to Earth for her to be after a demon. Yeah, because she's never mentioned being a slave and you would have thought that that would have come up by now when she was talking about the hierarchy and yeah being the princess yeah because there was some in episode one where they were talking about the fact that if trigon was allowed to come to earth then he would start with earth and then would spread through the galaxy destroying planets as he went so at least there was a little bit of context there but again not really a lot about her and her backstory no no i suppose not but it's still nice to see I don't know what I would say my favourite little bit of the storyline was in this episode. Um, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the first time the Titans came uh, up against Dr. Light. They got whooped pretty quickly. Well, it was kind of... Their, their heart wasn't in it. They weren't in costume. It was like a force. They sort thing. of rushed into it, didn't they? Yeah. And they were a bit unpracticed as well. Yeah. Uh, second time was much better. And then um, Jason versus Dr. Light was interesting. Oh, I like that. That was good. And I like yeah. the whole dynamic between Jason and Dick as well. And the, the smackdown. <laughs> yeah, there was an almighty smackdown from Dick on Jason there, which was uh, was quite fun. I love the way... Because we've seen that shot in the trailer as well, where uh, Jason squares up to him and says, uh, you know, no, you're in my way. The fact that that was followed up by him literally just flipping into the ground was great. I really enjoyed that. That was quite a painful smack as he hit the ground. And there's that nice sort of older brother, younger brother dynamic. Definitely. Um, I kind of saw it coming that he was going to take the information about where Dr. Light was and run off with it. Really hoped that Gar wasn't going to be like, oh, okay. I mean, he nearly didn't go along with it, but he did. It was a shame he did. I want I want to see a bit more from Gar. He seems to be a bit... We're seeing more of him now than oh, we did yeah. in season one, yeah. but still not quite enough, is it? He's a little bit whatever the story needs him to be at the moment. He's about underutilised. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I did like all of the stuff in Titan's Tower, though. So seeing, again, so Donna and Dick, where she was saying, you know, we shuttered this place because of what happened here before. There are ghosts in this tower. Um, Dick kind of squaring up with uh, Hank and Dawn 
after the first time when everything went wrong and Hank had injured his leg, um, when the, the kind of three of them had just got back and it was all a bit standoffish. But then the really nice scene that you got between just Hank and Dick, just the two of them later on, when he was patching his leg up and they had quite a nice little one-to-one, which was just some really great character moments, I felt. Once again, some really great moments with the teens um, training, I think, in Titan's Tower. Overall, just, as I just said, some really great character moments, I think. Your sort of highlight of this one? So we had some really good team training yep. with Raven Girl, badass, evil, red-eyed. Yes. Was her soul self trying to break out? Or was it the, the Trigon within? Could well be. Because her eyes went all red and Trigony. Yeah. Her, uh, her gemstone lit up as well. Yeah, so very excited to see what's going on there. Has she really killed him? Is he sitting inside the gem? He was referred to as killed, wasn't he? But we never saw her body. But does she know as well? Well, she might do. Has she encompassed the full of her powers? I was glad to finally see some context to that scene in the trailer where she's sort of crying on the phone and saying, I just feel so tired. Nice to know that she was talking to Corey because that's a good relationship between the two of them. It's kind of building on that nice bond they had together in series one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's hope they don't go to a diner anytime soon and order chicken and waffles. Well, no, that went down last time. Exactly. No Bruce Wayne in this episode. No, I mean, that's good. He doesn't need to be there. In every one. He's an old man. He's got to have time down. <laughs> but like I keep saying, just think how old poor Alfred is at this point. He must be like 105. <laughs> yeah. Anything in this one that you particularly want to criticise? Or that you weren't so keen on? No. <laughs> the ending, maybe? Another crucial cliffhangery ending at this one? Oh, it's a very exciting ending. You got to see Jason go all dark and take it a bit too far. Yeah. Well, did, it, did he say, I'm... Did he say, I'm back, bitch? Or no, he did, said, this titan is back, bitch. I wasn't sure whether he said, this titan is back, or this titan is bad. No, he said, this titan is back, bitch. <laughs> Bam! Yeah, some great fight choreography in that scene as well. Um, now up to Gar to go back and explain what happened, though, unfortunately. Yeah, awkward. I think he's about to find himself on a naughty step. I think he should transform himself into a mouse and look very sheepish. Or a sheep, even. <laughs> oh, I can see that coming, then, as you started saying that. Well, like a, like a little sad puppy dog. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Is he a whale? No, it's just it's a sad dog sound. Moving swiftly on. Uh, I don't know that there's anything that I would kind of criticise, really. Um, I think the pacing's been really good this season. You could argue that episode two was quite slow, but as it did so much story introduction, um, I think it I think it worked, and it was it picked it up this time. Episode two or episode 1.1? <laughs> all right, all right, let it go, let it go. Uh, have you got in mind a score that you would give this episode? Rationally. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eight, eight again. Okay. It was good. Final answer? Final answer. Lock it in. Okay. I haven't, uh, at the time of recording, I haven't finished writing my review for this, but by the time we've released it, and it, it will probably have been released, so I would imagine I'll be somewhere around the eight as well. We locked that in. It's almost like, um, what's that program? We lock an answer in. Who wants to be a millionaire? Final answer. Lock it in. <laughs> yes, I will. I will go for an eight out of ten for this as well. Titans continues to air new episodes weekly on DC Universe on a Friday and will be coming to Netflix sometime soon. Up next, I'm going to throw it over to myself for an interview. 
Uh, I am going to be chatting to uh, Nick, Harry and Luke, the creative team behind Black Spot Comics Odyssey. And when we come back, I will be reviewing said comic book. So enjoy this little interview. Welcome to the Gate Comic Con podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you on our first uh, our first Skype interview. Well, I say we. Martin's like cooking somewhere just like round the corner there. Nice. Kind of hearing sort of clattering around in the background. Nice. I thought it was Gordon Ramsay, but yeah, <laughs> I wish. It didn't work that good. <laughs> uh, before we get down to it, do you want to give us a, an intro? Just uh, say hello, say who you are, and what your your part is in uh, in Odyssey. Yeah. Luke, do you want to go first? <laughs> uh, spoiler, spoiler of my name. <laughs> uh, I'm Luke, I am one of the writers on Odyssey. I'm Harry, I'm the illustrator for Odyssey. And I'm Nick, and I'm the other writer on Odyssey. Awesome. Well, uh, I think probably before we start talking about how this book came about and where it kind of comes from and where it might be leading to, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it, give us an overview? Yeah, um, so Odyssey is part of the, the Snow universe, uh, which we've sort of been building up for a couple of years. Um, and so um, it sort of jumps way in the future um, to like act as the end point for our universe. So there's probably not gonna be anything that will follow this. This will be like the last thing in that universe. Um, and it's a story about a family trying to get off Earth after a, uh, after a pathogen hits Earth. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. See what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> Title drop. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you just so you say in there uh, that snow's been building up for a couple of years. I was just trying to think, how long ago was it when the first issue came out? Oh God. Um, There's the question. <laughs> not you don't have to go like the exact date or anything. Winter's evening. <laughs> uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, because yeah, I went to Reading Festival when you started illustrating the first issue in 2012. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I one of, us having, one of us was having way more fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just finished writing it. I was like, I'm done. I'm going to the festival. Soon yeah, we'll it's, go with that. 2013. Yeah, 2013. Say again. Oh. Six years ago, you two were like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Six years ago is the short answer. <laughs> nice. Okay. And it well, yeah, from our point of view, it's kind of, it's been pretty awesome. It must have been a couple of years now that we've been kind of doing stuff, promoting it for you. First time I interviewed you two, uh, just in print form, obviously, and we've done a couple of exclusives since then. It's been really cool. Yeah, it's, it's grown a lot, especially in the last, like, three years, I think. Mm. That's when we've really kind of, like, expanded it. Um, yeah. I think we first went to the Comic-Con in Norway mm. was when we met a lot more people and added more to the roster if you yeah. will yeah so yeah, it sort yeah. of snowballed a bit more from then mm. yeah basically you have luke to thank for everything just <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> just take it take it <laughs> i take i take it i take the thanks uh, i think that was what that was where it did build a bit because uh because i'm where i live in norway I, I, I run a comic night weekly basically where a group of people talk about comics and there's a bunch of writers and illustrators there and then the guy that I organised that with, we we basically got given a window to start our own like convention, I guess. Not on any grand scale, but very like low key and loads of creators. And then we got Nick and Harry over for that. And then like the window sort of opened for more more talent as well to help with things. So so that is that's definitely helped build the Snow Universe more and more over the last couple of years. 
not with Nick and Harry were doing a, a good job before that happened anyway. So it's just nice that we've been able to join in. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to have. I would definitely say you're doing a good job. Definitely. Oh, thank you. Now, can you tell us a bit about what the inspiration is behind jumping to the future in the Snow Universe? You wrote yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Harry and I had talked about it for a little while because we'd sort of had this, like, a cool concept, which is what Odyssey became, I think, yeah. in terms of, like, a pathogen hitting because of um, global warming. We'd sort of had that going for a little while. And then uh, where another book that was releasing our universe, Whistleblower, when that was kind of being done, we um, I was talking to the writer about it, and uh, he was asking me loads of questions about what he can include in the world and what he can kind of um, play with effectively. And I kind of said to Harry, I, I realized quite quickly that we hadn't set like a parameter to go like, this is where the universe will end up. And so we sort of decided that it'd be our next book and that we'd jump straight to the kind of end and, and jump into the, the future side of things just to, um, yeah, kind of like... Put a full stop on it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was to kind of get to that end. So anyone who sort of dips in and wants to play with anything, because we have quite a lot of people we invite in to, to do stuff. Mm. Uh, at least they've got now like a window where they yeah. know how far they can push it because yeah. they know what where it ends up I guess yeah yeah it's just so we can give them like an open and close bracket to yeah. everything yeah we sort of I, I always describe like snow now as like an open source project where it's kind of like if anybody wants to pitch a story to us they can um but Odyssey really kind of uh enables that because we have the the end point now whereas before it was sort of like you can do whatever you want but mm. you can't go past this certain thing that you haven't read yet because it's not <laughs> out yet um so having that kind of like done now it um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it works. Yeah, it's a clever idea as well because it's not something that you can necessarily get in sort of mainstream comics. So if you were, if, you know, like if you look at Batman or Justice League or you know anything in the the kind of the big DC and Marvel universes, they can never put an endpoint on that because it just it limits what they what they're able to do. Whereas actually, it kind of opens a big sandbox for you guys. Mm, yeah, yeah, it sort of does um, in a cool but slightly scary way that I think it's just like suddenly there's a lot of time to fill now between yeah. what Snow the Dawn is and, and what happens in Odyssey. But It's interesting because it's like the sooner people come up with ideas or we come up with ideas, the more we like close the door. Yeah. So it's like if someone wants to do something wild within those parameters, they have to do it like quickly. quickly yeah. <laughs> so if, if someone might come in and like write their idea off by doing something completely contradictory. Yeah. They're like, oh, I could have done that, but yeah, uh, yeah gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. interesting. It's going to, It'll either massively work for a while, or someone will come in and drop something very good <laughs> that makes it instantly not work for anyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. At that point, I think we'll just do what DC and Marvel do and be like multiverse. Yeah, multiverse. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Time for rebirth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll jump yeah. everything and reboot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question is for the uh, for the writers in the room. How did the idea come about to collaborate on this one? Uh, so that was sort of Harry and I were discussing this story. Um, uh, and I kind of said how I wasn't entirely sure how to break the story. I wasn't sure what angle I wanted to take with it, whether I wanted it to be kind of a complete, uh, kind of like horror thing or to stick with the kind of snow themes and do it as like a sci-fi kind of thing. 
that has a bit of um, horror tendencies to it. Yeah. And, um, I sort of loosely, loosely helped Luke with Virtuous, uh, but most of it was him. And then I just really enjoyed working with Luke. And I just thought, you know what, like this book's going to be quite um, like a, a big story to tell. Like I think. Harry and I knew it was going to be um, a whopper. Yeah, to use the pun, an odyssey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, the weakest part. <laughs> we had to split into two issues, so. Yeah. Um, and so then, yeah, I, I threw it over to Luke, and, yeah, Luke instantly kind of, like, ran with it. And, uh, yeah, it did some good stuff. Like, strong. I think I, think I came up with the title, and then Nick, Nick ran with it, and then I threw in some pages uh, when I could. It was definitely a... I think we did we did have a good back and forth with the virtuous comics, so I think that was it was a natural. Uh, I guess and we're all close friends as well, so it's a natural fit in that respect as well. When it's easy to work with your friends in, in something like this, and it's fun, so it was uh, I was happy to be asked and just kind of went from there really. Yeah, it worked really nicely, and we sort of did it where um, we sort of tried to like give each other a certain like page count. So we started off by going, okay, like I'll write the first four pages, you write the next four pages. And so okay. we sort of bounced between each other, kind of doing that. Yeah, um, there wasn't like a skeleton, was there? You literally just went, here's my four, and then your yeah. four have got to fit in between these. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think because of the way that the story's laid out, where it's kind of like the mum and the kid, um, and then the the kind of like the family that you follow, it was natural that it could, you could work two writers in it, because it gave them both yeah. like different tones. Yeah, um, it's two, two, basically it's one... <laughs> There are two sides to the story, effectively, two areas that we're focusing on. It was easier, but the, like with the page count thing, it worked out differently to how we first set out with doing a few pages each because sometimes Nick would write something that naturally couldn't finish at four pages or our four pages next to each other didn't flow as well as they did. So we would take, we would, Nick would write a couple of extra, etc. So again, I don't know how well that would work if you were not close friends as well because it's, uh, it's probably a bit more of a relaxed situation, but it, it worked fine when we did it so yeah, yeah it's coming out well yeah it's cool i like it i think it's got a, yeah. a good kind of feel to it yeah um, but it's, it's not like if you lay down the initial scripts you guys did it's not the same because it's like it, yeah. we had to flip and chop yeah, things. Chunks and drag, yeah and like when you have something in script form and then i draw it out uh, that changes things as well but it is essentially because it's now been like mashed into a different order it is like 50 percent both of your writing and you can't really tell who did what. Yeah, so it yeah, does yeah. read really well. When I, when I read for it recently, I was like, I'm a good writer, but I don't I don't know if I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably Nick's. <laughs> no, what happened is Nick handed it all over to me and I just rewrote it. Yeah, Harry just rewrote Harry, yeah. That's why neither of you recognize yeah, anything. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you did anything. <laughs> I don't even remember the zombies. It was just uh, <laughs> it was, it was a musical. Wait, <laughs> You're opening it for the first page, like it's set in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it was Victorian earlier. <laughs> okay, cool. So, uh, one for the artist this time. Uh, how did you kind of approach looking at this future version of that world, and how did, was it? Was there any conscious thought process behind making it look slightly different? How did you? How did you go about it? Mm. Um, how did I do that? <laughs> uh, yeah um what well i tried to keep the style pretty similar like i didn't read really, other than the fact it's now colored digitally that was a huge swap over which i've not done before this is this is my first digitally colored project ever so 
that's a big difference. But in terms of like the actual art inside, I, I kept it the tone fairly similar, but I just amped up the tech and the uh, yeah the geometric objects and things like that. Because ge and generally, like speaking, I hate drawing background or heavy stuff. Which in this one, I went all out, and there are a lot of wide shots and yeah, uh, paint yeah. the depth. Yeah. So on the whole, I don't think the art styles change other than the color particularly i think like obviously from like the first issue to now my art's like evolved as we've gone along but i don't think i've consciously changed the way i've approached it other than like the technical side of how i've drawn it out to have like to scanning it and, and coloring it digitally but um yeah the, the main changes in everything are pretty much down to the script um it's just what's been what's been written and required of the of the story that yeah. i've just worked it to that i've not really gone to what i know when nick and i were talking about it and with luke as well there's been certain things where i've said oh you know throw these in like uh like drones there's yeah. drones in there which was like a initially it was all guards and things so there's, there's a few little touches where i've added uh you know more sci-fi elements but the way it actually looks the, the difference is probably more down to the digital color and uh, like a new approach to it as opposed to any sort of change in like yeah. the way I do it, and I think as well, like when we started like properly writing it, like Luke and I jumped into it. You kind of um, you'd said like go quite like as detailed as you want on it. Yeah, it's like my scripts for you for Snow are like really basic. It'll be like mm. James drops off a building. Yeah, actually that's the point because when we first started it, I had said I wanted which it did not go this way. I was like I wanted to do something a bit more Frank Miller esque, kind of like minimalistic line work and like okay. block hard color. But um, yeah, that didn't happen basically. Because I, I said to Nick and like Luke, write write it really detailed, so I can just pick out the bits that definitely need to be there. So when I do it in this loose style, it um, it it's like it works. But I ended up just doing it pretty much how I normally do it. <laughs> so that went that went to pot. But no, like, other other than you know, like I say, the digital side of things, it is it's not. I don't think it's massively removed from what we've seen before um and i don't feel like i did anything uh, outrageously different yeah yeah like i say the, the digital things the, the main change in all in it but hopefully it carries on nicely i didn't really want to warp it too much because then you'd probably think it wasn't the same story so hopefully it translates <laughs> as part of the same universe yeah but just in color yeah the color palette is awesome i'm just looking through it again now and actually the Oh, I don't want to spoil it, so I won't talk about what's going on too much. But the, uh, the shade of red in this particular panel is uh, is oh, quite uh, quite striking. Yeah, I, I think I did go for wild, more for because uh, because really, like the rest of Snow all being monotone, other than the first issue we did, it's all very it's quite for want of a better word, quite bland. Yeah. Which it works for the story, but for this one, I thought if I'm going color full color, I'm going full color. Yeah. So. I've gone for everything, you know, rather than it, you know, being like dark hues of thing. I've gone all, all blues, all purples, pinks, reds, greens. I've gone, I've tried to get as much colour as I can in there without it looking like, you know, a t children's TV show. <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely didn't get uh, children's TV show vibes when I was reading it. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, I think it takes about two pages to clear that up, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, switching topics slightly for a second. Nick, do you want to tell us a bit about prologues? Oh, yeah. 
So that uh, that was sort of like an impulsive last minute thing. Um, I sort of just we were close to finishing up the lettering for Odyssey. Yeah, and uh, I sort of read the story back a couple of times, and then I just kind of thought there's a there's like a a prologue story that I want to tell, and then also kind of like it's like in two time frames. I had one which is probably about I don't know a couple of hours before Odyssey kicks off, and then I had another one which was a good few years before Odyssey kicks off, and I was like, oh okay, I don't know how to write these. And originally I set out and I was like, I'll write two kind of short stories and then realized that a lot of the the stories were like mirroring each other it was like two people in a different situation in a different time but going through similar motions and that kind of led me to write it as like a dual dialogue so it bounces left to right on the page because it's two characters who are effectively experiencing the same thing um just one's probably more in peril i guess um so i sort of just yeah i thought it'd be a nice little like tease for the world that we were setting up it sort of gives you an initial idea of kind of how things have got as bad as they have i guess in in odyssey and um yeah the decision to kind of like have something illustrated on top of that was just i knew uh, i'm friends with an artist and obviously harry was still working on odyssey and i just kind of said to him you know if you fancy just taking moments from the script that, that kind of stick out to you and drawing on top of it go for it um and yeah i think that came out quite nicely i think it was a a fun little story to tell it's 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 interesting because the the dual dialogue thing i think is quite like uh uh abrasive at first i've had a few people kind of read it and go like it really kind of pinged me like going left to right but i think um once i've kind of like got used to how it's formatted it's it's everybody's kind of said you know it is an interesting story and it it does something kind of um different with that kind of uh outline so yeah yeah, definitely. It is definitely something something different. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything that you can tease for chapter two of Odyssey? <laughs> Anything we can spoil? <laughs> yeah. um, tease, um, tease. Well, you'll probably have to give a teaser. Uh, or Luke. You you both yeah. have an equal hand in this. Yeah. You should. But this should be. I'm trying easy. not to like spoil <laughs> things. It's a bit, it's a bit more. <laughs> It's hectic, isn't it? Just a, a very. I can't. I don't think there's much. Uh, there's not really much pause in the next one. If the first one is sort of building up quite a bit, I mean, there's still quite quite a lot of action in the first one. But in the second one, it's kind of all all systems go. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it definitely um, the kind of like first page. I think will kind of set up the tone of it that you'll kind of see. Um, where we're going with it and it instantly kind of gives you uh there's a bit more dread i think the second issue i think yes. the issue is a bit more like optimistic i guess mm. in, in, which says a lot but do you reckon yeah i think the second half i think it's less optimistic oh no i meant you said the first half's optimistic oh sorry yeah, yeah i reckon the first half is like in comparison to the second half i reckon it's optimistic because yeah. it's oh, yeah. like I'm not challenging you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where are we going? Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the second part is more hectic. Um, uh, oh, I just don't know. I, I'm going to spoil it if I, if so I keep annoying, talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's why I think it. I think it is just a little bit more kind of like. I can tell you one thing for sure: it picks off exactly where the first one ended, uh, yeah. which is not uncommon yeah. for for a part two for a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, besides that, it goes off. Yeah. Things happen, and and it ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it it. It's the same length. Yeah, it is. It's the same length, and you'll kind of you'll see a little bit more of. Uh, certain characters that are only introduced at the end of the first one as well. Mm. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll kind of meet some new people. Um, yeah, I think if you read the first part and you thought, oh, I don't know if much has happened in this, Yeah, like if it, where this is going, yeah. it's worth waiting for the second part because a lot, a lot goes off in the yeah, second yeah. part. Yeah. That's probably the most concise way to say it without... Spoiling. Everything. I feel like it's so easy to, if like in one sentence, I could <laughs> ruin, yeah, ruin, ruin, ruin about half of it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, trying to do. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what I can say here, but it's going to spoil everything. But yeah, I think it is just sort of like um, we've we've got a quick trajectory with it, mm. fast think, pace. Yeah, and I think the first half builds to that, so then the the second chapter it really kind of like barrels towards it, mm. um, and it's a conclusive ending. Yes. Yeah. So that is it, though. Yeah, I think it's got a question mark on the end. Multiverse comes into effect. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the Until there's the multiverse. Until yeah. yeah. the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, and then everything's up in the air. Yeah. No. It's. Um, yeah. That's that's pretty much all there is to say without ruining every part of it. Ruining all of it. Yeah. Vague. That was very vague, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. We like. We don't mind vague. That's all right then. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we're, we're fine. <laughs> yeah, dodge that bullet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do think the pacing of this is really cool really? in comparison to, to kind of the mainstream snow stuff because that is a nice kind of slow burn noir kind of teasing you as to as to what's going on. Whereas this is really immediate and it's just you know straight down to it. It's pretty, it's pretty. I guess kind of maybe visceral is maybe the right word to use in that respect. In that you're just literally thrown straight into it and there's no real time to figure out exactly what's going on. No. Yeah, yeah, we sort of wanted that as well because I think with snow, we're and like even whistleblower actually, um, like whistleblower is quite a good thing to compare Odyssey to as well. Now that kind of both two parts, I think with whistleblower you kind of got like a slow burn story that kind of sets you up with a lot of questions and a lot of mystery. And I think Odyssey, one of the first things that we talked about with it was that it was just sort of like hit the ground running. Um, yeah, like you know just just go with it and and let the kind of like story do its thing. As opposed to take the time and be like, this is how it got to this. This is how it got to this. It's just, look, things are bad. <laughs> along as well as Luke and Nick and me as well. We all put like a conscious effort into make, putting a lot of dramatic pages in. So there's double page spreads. There's full pages. There's like wide shots. The yeah. lot. So like uh, a lot of the pages are, are taken up with the breadth of the page. So it's quick. It's, you're taking a lot in, but it's very quick to read because some pages have you know, one panel mm. or other pages, you've got like three at the top and a large image, like the red page you saw. So I think it, it reads fast, but it's like, it's, it's full of stuff. Yeah. 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 That's actually something we can say about chapter two is that there is another double page spread. Oh yeah. There's another, yeah. And another full page. Oh yeah. There's another landscape page as well. Yeah. It's yeah. got a very similar. Yeah. Not similar format, but it's got every, it? everything you've seen in the first one is in the second one, but better. <laughs> that should definitely be our, our tagline for the second issue. That there's yeah. a double page spread. Just wait for those cues. <laughs> definitely, uh, 
like non-biased as well because yeah. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that was wait, we were answering yeah. the question about yeah. part two, right? Yeah, Still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. Okay, can you uh, tell us where uh, readers can get their hands on a copy of Odyssey? Yes, so uh, a couple of places. So uh, if you happen to be in Stavanger, Norway, uh, next weekend, yeah. the 4th and 5th of October, uh, we'll have it on sale there, uh, which will be the first place it's on sale. Uh, for then, for, for um, physicals. Yeah, for yeah. physicals, yeah. And then uh, the following Wednesday, which I think is the 9th of October, uh, it will be available on our publisher's Etsy, which is Black Sport Comics, uh, and it will be available by there. Uh, with digital release on Comicsology happening around that time, hopefully nice. on the same day, but still waiting for confirmation of that. Um, so yeah, that's where you get it. Keep an eye on our Instagrams and that as well, because yeah. we'll be posting about it. So yeah, that's that's probably the best way to do it. But no, next weekend, just yeah. go to Norway. Yeah, just book a flight to Norway. Just come next to weekend. Norway. Yeah, join us there. <laughs> the Etsy page is where we'll have uh, like the the publishers Etsy. Is it the publisher's Etsy? Yeah. 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 One that they'll, they'll have it on there. I've so. the question as if I know. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the press email said that they sent me. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good then. Yeah. <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> yeah, it'll be available now. I think it's on the 9th of October. I think that's the Wednesday. Um, yeah. Oh, so that's literally like a week, Just a week tomorrow. We go to Norway. A week from then, yeah. it's... Two weeks from tomorrow. Done. Done. Yeah, yeah. You're in Norway while we're at New York Comic Con, and then uh, the day that it comes out is the day that we fly back. So uh, two, uh, two, two time very at least that day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Something to read way back. Yeah. Well, actually, you've already read it. Yeah, that's true. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've read it like five times already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh no. That's right. I will be telling everyone in New York that they need to go and read it and pick it up. Oh, brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll run out of copies fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if everyone in New York comes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the 75,000 people at, uh, at New York Comic Con are all going to be jumping on a flight to Norway. We're just going to all like mob oh, over. Yeah. over. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Look forward That's to that yeah. flash mob yeah. of Americans. Yeah. yeah. Prepare yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest turnout ever. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I've got one more question for you. Excellent. So we are reviewing Ad Astra in our in our podcast this week. Uh, so we have been asking the listeners at home to tell us what their favourite Brad Pitt movie is. Can you tell us what yours is? You go first, Nick. Oh, no. <laughs> um... If he says Ad Astra, then you know that he enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. well, we've not um, seen it yet. So... No, you haven't seen I it. Think... I haven't seen it either. No. Okay. Uh... I was, I'm trying to think. Um, it's either going to be uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. Or controversial World War Z. <laughs> oh, it's controversial. It's, it's go controversial. Just say it. Just say World I'm War Z. I'm just going to yeah, go for it. World War Z. Oh, controversial. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Good, good. I've gone for it. Yeah, you've been bold. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Luke? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the easy one to say is fighting. I'm the only one who knew this from the moment it was asked. So. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's probably fight. It's pro- probably Fight Club. I think that's probably my favorite. Brad Pitt. But he's in he's in a lot of good. I said to Nick earlier, he's 
he's in a lot of good films, isn't he? Like, like there are some films that you even forget that he, he was really. Like, True Romance is good. Yeah, somebody did recommend True Romance. Actually, uh, it's been years oh. since I watched that film, but there was one when it came up, and I thought, God, I've not, I totally forgotten that film even existed. Yeah, mm. really, that's a really good film. I mean, Glorious Bastards, like Nick said, is really good. I joked earlier with Nick that Sinbad and the Seven Seas, the Disney one, quality. He was in that? Yeah, he was in the main voice, yeah. I don't know why I even remembered that. It was the first one I said to Nick. Luke's got it on now in the background. I think it has to be Fight Club. That's that's definitely the one I've probably rewatched the most, I think. Uh, he's, he's just so good in it, isn't he? That's a piece of it. So go on then, Harry. What's yours? My one. Uh, I would go for uh, his character One Punch Mickey from Snatch. Yeah, that is it's right. hands down my favourite Brad Pitt role because watching him play the pikey in that, <laughs> oh my god, and that's not a slur because that's what they call him in the film. Uh, yeah, that that's hands down my favourite. A close second would have been um, his role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, it's Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to think my head went L.A. 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 Then. Um, yeah, where he's uh, uh, Cliff Booth. But no, I'm, I'm going to go for One Punch Mickey from Snatch. Yeah, Cliff Booth is a character as well. Too good. Too yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. He like kind of goes out of the charts. Like, he, he automatically wins, so I can't choose him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. I've heard really good things about Ad Astra, though. A few people uh, have, have seen it here. They went to, we had, there was a premiere the other day that they went to. And it was, uh, they said it was really good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's visually, it's really stunning. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still don't quite know what it's about, other than he space. I know it's yeah. about space, space. but I, space. I saw, I watched the trailer and I was like, I don't quite know what's going on here, but visually it looked good, and I'm, I was sold on it anyway. But I, I, I t- I'm trying not to watch too many trailers. I know you don't watch many trailers, do you now, Nick? But I, I, I uh, yeah, I don't see them unless I see them at the cinema. I do my best to try and avoid them, but some I did see that and I was like, I, I'm just gonna go and see it one day. So. Okay, guys. Well, thank you very much. Do you want to tell us one more time where you can pick up a copy of Odyssey? Yeah, so uh, if you happen to be in Stavanger, Norway on the 4th of October, you can pick it up at Comnicon. Uh, where is Comnicon, Luke? It's at 2 Senna in Stavanger. Done. Done. There you go. Or, you go. or uh, on the 9th of October, head to uh, Black Spot Comics on Etsy, and you'll be able to pick it up there. Nice. Awesome. Thanks very much. Thank you. So Odyssey is published by Black Spot Comics. It's written by Luke Barnes and Nick Good and illustrated by Harry Hughes. The book is launching exclusively at Comic-Con 2019 in Norway uh, and uh, Comic-Con takes place on the 4th and 5th of October. Following on from that, print copies will be available through the Black Spot Comics store, which I will put a link to, and you will also be able to purchase it on Comixology, a digital version, obviously, from the 9th of October onwards. If you're uh, if you're familiar with some of my comic book reviews and some of the work that we've done in the past, you'll know that I have worked with Nick and with Harry uh, previously on their series, which is called Snow the Dawn. It's an excellent, um, I guess, uh, future kind of dystopian future noir is probably the best way to describe it it's a series that we've done a number of reviews on in the past um, and it's definitely well worth a read if you can get your hands on it odyssey is set in the same world but several um, decades in the future 
and is a slightly more horror tinged maybe also slightly science fiction tinged version of where that story will eventually lead so it centers around a group of characters who are attempting to make it to uh to a shuttle which is about to take off um again it's in this dystopian future but further on we find that actually um after all of the apocalyptic stuff that's been going on around london there's now a disease which has got itself into the water supply and it turns people into let's say uh rage infected zombie types so what we've got in this first chapter uh, of the book which was initially going to be a one shot but is now being released in two different chapters is a great little race against time it's very fast paced it's uh, it's very action orientated as these disparate groups of survivors are all trying to make it to uh, to an escape shuttle whilst the virus is kind of spreading and taking out people around them as they go so you, the story kind of splits itself between two different main storylines. So you've got this group of survivors that are on their way to the shuttle and this small child and his mum that were uh, at the launch pad, basically, as as he begins to turn into, into one of the infected. And what you've got is actually just a really interesting character piece as you kind of get to see the reaction as to what happens down on the launch pad as this kid turns, how his mum reacts to it, how the uh, how the armed forces around kind of react to it as well as well and how everything begins to, I guess, fall apart. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, um, but there's there's some serious consequences of what we see in this particular book, and it's it's very much a, a more high-octane version of what we've seen in, in Snow the Dawn, which is a little bit slower in terms of its pacing, and is a little bit more focused on a, a long, drawn-out storyline. This is more of a... Uh, yeah, I, don't, I kind of want to say balls out kind of instant gratification zombie horror which i really really like there's a huge climactic ending which will keep you hanging on until uh, until the second chapter for sure but it's typical of um of nick's work in that there's some really great characters there that are really well defined from quite early on you can also see luke's influence uh, he took part in their uh, omnibus kind of short story collection that was called the eventide he wrote a story in there which was called virtuous it's an excellent kind of Black Mirror-esque tale, which I really, really enjoyed. Together, the collective has just written a really interesting story here, uh, and the artwork, the illustrations by, by Hughes are excellent. I kind of immediately look at this, and you can see that there's a different kind of colour palette to what you see in Snow the Dawn, which is often black and white. Instead here, because we've moved further on to the future, there's a lot more oranges and greens and uh, some very stark blood reds in there as well. But it's a really different look for this world which is great considering we're sitting in a different time period to what we've seen before so it really does kind of show that you've stepped up and stepped forwards in terms of what's going on in the reality of this snow the dawn kind of world overall it's just a really excellent read and i can't wait to get through to uh, to part two because actually i just need to know how this ends at this point i'll have a full written review coming out on the website in the next few days and as I said, you can pick up a copy from the Black Spot comic store or from Comixology from October the 9th. On to our film review for this week. What are we going to be telling the listeners at home about today, Marty? So this week, we got a chance to go and see Ad Astra. We did. Uh, so, before we get down to business, have a little listen to one of the trailers for the movie. I do what I do because of my dad. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Because up there is where our story's gonna be told. 
This is a top secret psychological evaluation. Please describe your current emotional state. I'm steady, calm, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I will remain calm. I will remain focused. You look just like your dad there. He was the first man to the outer solar system. He was a pioneer. But there was much more to him than that. Please, state your mission objective. I am attempting to stop an uncontrolled antimatter reaction. Which threatens our entire solar system. We're approaching Mars. Spacecom believes my father is responsible. We're doing big things up here, real big. What did he find out there in the abyss? Here is not a person or a thing. It's the endless void. The world awaits our discovery, my son. Ad Astra is written and directed by James Gray and stars Brad Pitt as Roy McBride, Tommy Lee Jones as H. Clifford McBride, Ruth Neger as Helen Lantos, Donald Sutherland as Thomas Pruitt, Kimberly Elise as Lorraine Devers, Lauren Dean as Donald Stanford, and Liv Tyler as the wife who didn't say very much, Eve, that's her name, as Eve. So we got to go and see this courtesy of 20th Century Fox, which was really nice. We saw it at the Odeon Lux in Leicester Square. It's the first time you've been to that cinema, if you'd like to just touch on that experience before we talk about the film. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's the reclining seats, isn't it? You can't just like have a footrest, you can also lean yourself back and basically lie flat. It was, it was wonderful. I was amazed I was able to stay awake, to be honest with you. Not due to the quality of the film, I'd like to add. Well, we'll come on to that. I was amazed I was able to stay awake purely because it was after a long day and I got to lie flat in the dark room. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't really know where to start with this one because this is quite a complicated one, I think, to talk about. Mm. No? No. Okay, so tell me your thoughts on the narrative of Ad Astra. You and I had quite polar opposite reactions to this film. Yeah, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you start, and then it'd be much easier when I give you my polar opposite. <laughs> okay, so I I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I do not think it's perfect, and I often say that, and I f- challenge anyone to tell me what kind of film actually is perfect. But I do think that it, and apologies for the aviation pun, but I think it failed to land its message. Oh, that was bad. Really? Yeah, that was like a dad joke. Thanks. But it did. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. So I think uh, it was a really interesting story 
which was very much a father and son tale, but wrapped up in the idea of, of space travel. I think it was constructed to be very intelligent, and I'm not 100% sure that it was in the end. I think it was intelligible, but didn't quite know what it wanted to be. So I do. I enjoyed the fact that there was some father-son conflict, that uh, Roy obviously had some issues with the fact that his father had left and that it had affected his relationships on Earth and it had also affected how he'd grown up and the man that he'd become. I think that was all really good. I also understood the science and the kind of the reasoning behind why they sent him into space, just in terms of why, you know, there was stuff going on that was to do with his dad. They presumed that his dad was alive and sent him after him. I can see the reasons why they did that. I think that worked. I enjoyed the stuff that was in space because it was really well shot and I thought the cinematography was amazing. But in terms of story, there wasn't a huge amount that happened in space until he got to the, the Lima project. And then when he arrived there and confronted his dad, that's when I felt it kind of unwound itself slightly. So that odd conversation where Tommy Lee Jones's character was just like, oh, I didn't care about you. I didn't think about you once the whole time I've been here. And then I thought it was quite tenuous that he kind of killed or gotten rid of everyone else that was on his shuttle because they'd given up on finding aliens, but he refused to give up on it. So he just stayed there. And then having done that for 20, 30 odd years, he just left with his son but then untethered himself and basically left himself to die. And then Roy came back to Earth and it ended. So I, I do think that it failed to land the ending slightly. Do you agree? <laughs> do you, you're, you're looking at me slightly puzzled. What? Go on. Oh, I just didn't like it. At all? No. Okay. Uh, so tell us tell us why. What, what about it didn't you like in terms of the story? So why why couldn't he have just sent a recorded message? So due to the fact that his dad was so deep in space, that's why he had to go to to the Mars uh, the Mars base to be able to send the message that far out into the universe. So we can travel through space, but we can't record a message on planet Earth and then hand a CD to somebody to take it to Mars and send it. Presumably they could have done that, but yes. Thanks, you've just undone the whole film in one sentence. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, that makes the rest of this review really easy. Um, okay, take that aside then. So, fair enough, in your mind it could have been easily resolved a lot quicker and not had to necessarily be a film. But in terms of what you did see, what didn't you like? It, no, no, none of it made sense. Okay. Nothing at all. Okay. So we're on the moon, yeah. and then there's moon raiders. But what were they reading? Okay, so the whole idea of the moon was that it was territorial. So, but what were they reading? They they completely destroyed. Yes, they did the buggy, and then they drove away. We don't really know what they were doing. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is a disaster. Sorry. Um, Next point. Okay, so the pre the pre but the premise of that was that uh, essentially things that happen now on Earth, where you've got land, you know, wars across borders for territorial land ownership. Had transferred to the moon basically so that's what they, they were calling them pirates weren't they yeah no i get all that i just think it I, what was the point they didn't read anything they didn't do anything they just shot at them and then they sort of floated over a cavern for a bit and then that was it okay uh next point so then they went to mars yep so then we have some really pointless killer monkeys oh how did you not like the killer monkeys what was the point well so that ship had sent out a distress signal <laughs> because uh, 
something had gone horribly wrong and that was a ship that was out there doing human and animal testing in space yeah so but how does that impact on him reconnecting with his dad other than it's five minutes of pointless action with no resolution to why was the monkey crazy I don't know why the monkey was crazy. And what happened to the monkey? Did we just shut the door and leave it? They didn't do anything with it. How long had it been alive? They just sort of were like, oh well, it's killed everybody. Let's just keep going. Yes. Um, Sorry, I feel like I'm just ruining your review now. Slightly. Uh, I have to say, though, that sequence with the monkeys was a little bit weird because obviously the monkeys had attacked the ship captain the ship's captain from from Roy's ship. Um, yet he then proceeded to, even though the guy's hand was missing, so his suit was ripped wide open, tape over his helmet to take him back. Don't get me started on that one, because if the captain can't breathe in the atmosphere, how the hell did the monkey breathe in the atmosphere? Did the monkey have a space helmet? No. <laughs> um, the monkey was floating around in a ship where the humans couldn't breathe in it, just eating people. That's a very good point. You know, I hadn't actually thought of that. Uh, presumably, whatever experiment they were doing had meant that they could breathe in space. That's a very tenuous explanation. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, next point. How did you feel about when he met his dad? Well, we've missed Mars. We've missed the pointlessness oh, of Mars. Sorry, okay. Continue with Mars. So what? Was, that was pointless. He didn't have to go to Mars. He could have sent a USB stick. Okay, yeah. So so I was at conference this week and I met with one of our old consultants who also went to see the film. Yes. And he said to me, and he got very angry because he he knows more about space things than I do, clearly. He may may well be listening because I told him about the podcast. Hi, Matt, if you're listening. Yeah, and he was very angry in that when they recorded the message, they were then waiting for an instant reply and he then explained to me how if you send a laser beam through that many, like, many light years away to wherever it was it was it would take at least like a day for the message to come back so why were they sitting there waiting for a response instantly that's the beauty of hollywood actually uh isn't it just that actually you we wouldn't get much enjoyment out of sitting and watching them sit there for a day waiting for any response essentially that is what we did for two hours though <laughs> we sat there and we watched brad pitt sit in a spaceship oh this is like pulling teeth on his own. <laughs> You're enjoying this, aren't you? <laughs> so how did you feel about him, the interaction between uh, Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones and where it went from there? Again, I just uh, was, I just felt a bit limp. Uh, there was some science that was a little bit on the, uh, the difficult side in that scene, I felt. Well, Brad Pitt essentially doing a silver surfer through the rings of Neptune, wherever it is. Yes. Without being hurt or anything. So, uh, just to give some context, if you've not seen the film, to get back from the Lima Project ship back to his own ship, he uses his uh, his space pack to jet propel himself. But having to travel through the rings of Jupiter, no mm. Neptune, no. I can't remember where it was. The one at the very end. You've thrown me right off now. Uh, he he just shields himself with a piece of the hull from the Lima Project ship. Uh, it wasn't even a piece of the hull. It was, a, it was like the spinny like disc on top. It was, yeah. Uh, and I don't really see that him travelling through space and hitting space rubble, would that would have protected him particularly. And to be able to sort of propel himself from through one it. spaceship to his spaceship whilst holding a bit of metal, whilst going through this ring of all this sort of that would have space dust and asteroids. Slowed him down quite a lot, if not pushed him back in the other direction. He was still able to land squarely on his ship 
which then had enough resources and fuel and power to make it all the way back to Earth. Well, it was always going to have enough resources to get back, at least to Mars. Yeah, that's true. I think that. Thank you. Wehey, one small win. Um, all right. <laughs> this is not how I planned this to go. Um, anything that you did like? So I loved that we got to lie down. And I loved that we got a free bag of instruments. Right. And it was always nice to see it with the Hulks as well. <laughs> yes, it was, yes. And that's it. Do you not think that space looked great? Do you oh, not... visually, I'll give them that. It looked really good. I mean, it was filmed very well. It was a shame we didn't get to see it in IMAX, but I did think that the cinematography was absolutely stunning, and I really enjoyed the music as well. Uh, yeah. It was... I expected to hear a score that was going to be somewhere in along the lines of Hans Zimmer from, from Interstellar. And although you could hear echoes of other kind of science fiction space movies along these lines, it was still something different and it was still something quite unique as well, which I really appreciated. So I think what I said to you was that this is a very filmy person's film. <laughs> I think you also said that that's why I would enjoy it and you wouldn't. Yeah. Well, you're a very filmy person. You've got like a degree in, in film and things. I don't. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, yes, I do think that there is an argument that this is... Uh, well, I was going to say a thinking person's film, but that's maybe slightly offensive. Um, I just... It left me pondering and left me thinking about it for a long time afterwards, and I had a, a long you know, debate in my own head about things that happened in the film, so it definitely worked for me. I think I was just a bit too sort of pragmatic, like, well, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Then why Whereas, would you do that? I just sat there thinking that the long expanses of quietness and the vast depth of space was just enchanting and quite uh, emotive. So, well, and the rationalist in me was like, well, just send a bloody USB stick. <laughs> and why is that monkey breathing in, in space? Oh dear. What do you think about Brad Pitt's performance? Considering he's he has to anchor every single scene of the of the film, I thought it, he performed really well. Yeah, no, he, he carried the film; he did very well. But he's a very good actor. So. He is a very good actor. It was very emotional, and I quite liked how they used some of the technological advances of that period of the future to be able to tie it in and have him have a not really an internal monologue, but sort of a monologue throughout the film. So yeah. that the it's daily captain's log. Yes. His daily psychological test that he had to record into the computer meant that we had an insight into what was going on in his mind at several points in the film, which I thought was quite important to help the story move along. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank heavens for small mercies. As somebody said at work to me the other day, it doesn't matter how bad a film is, as long as it's just two hours of Brad Pitt, then that's good enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, how did you take the... Um, God, you're brave. More questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How did you take the the way that they sort of slightly grounded the reality by having uh, product placement like Virgin Galactic in there? There's two schools of thought about it on the internet, one of which is mine, and the other of which, which is, oh, product placement. Yeah, I suppose I'm probably in the middle. I'm like, oh, product placement, but oh, very clever. That's you know. I, that's see, this is my thought process on it: is that it was very clever because we were we were in a future that was beyond ours, so we were already being asked to suspend disbelief in terms of thinking that this spaceship was sending antimatter waves back towards Earth that could wipe out humanity. So that's quite high concept, and you could be forgiven for it going completely science fiction in that respect. But I appreciated the fact that that whole journey to the moon 
because he was having to go undercover, they grounded it in something that isn't too far off where we are now, in that it was a Virgin Galactic flight. And then that they took that one step further by having the moon base be sort of... You had your DHL place to do your couriering from, and it was a Virgin Galactic base. So I quite appreciated that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like in your face product placement. It wasn't like he was he was on his shit was a Mercedes or something. He didn't pop a can of Coke and be like, Ah, this is refreshing. Yeah. Oh, what time is it? Let me look at my Rolex. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I appreciated that as a way of just grounding the film ever so slightly given everything else that was going on. Dare I, because I feel like I need to wrap this up now, uh, ask you what you score this out of ten. So I think Hmm. Visually, it was very good, and it was filmed very well, and Brad Pitt was losing it, I'll give him that. But it's all the little niggly bits that the rational part of my brain just screamed, like, well, why? that would never happen, not even in the future. So I think I'm going to have to give it a four Ooh, okay. out of ten. Uh, obviously, I didn't think it was out of five. They get an extra point for the minstrels. Oh, I want the I want the ground to open up and swallow this podcast whole right now. Um, so my verdict was: Ad Astra shoots for the stars in every aspect of its production. Luscious cinematography, a haunting soundscape, and an affectingly emotional performance from Brad Pitt are all components to make this one of the best films of 2019. But a weak ending means Ad Astra fails to fully land its unabashedly existential journey to the edges of our galaxy. Seven out of ten from me. Do you want to hear my review? Do we have to? It was alright. Okay, that's considering some of the things that you've said in the last ten minutes. That's a that's a small save. But we asked you, the lovely super friend listeners at home, to tell us uh, what your favourite Brad Pitt movies are. So, we have a Hulk said Fight Club and Seven. Can you tell I'm a David Fincher fan? Yes, yes, I definitely can. With a wonderful gif of uh, what's in the box. Uh, You've seen Seven, right? Oh, I'd like Seven, yeah. It's a great film. Great film. I've not watched that in a little while, actually. Oh, yeah, what's well, in the box. Yeah. Exactly. Gwyneth like... Paltrow's head is what's in the box. Oh, don't spoil it. I'm sure people have seen it. It's been out for a long time. Um, so then we had Nerds Chatting, who said, I'm going to say he's criminally underrated as an actor and that Seven is my favourite performance of his, plus comedic chops in the Ocean films. I have only, I think I've only seen Ocean's Eleven. I've seen Ocean. I went to the pictures to see Ocean Eleven. I think I've seen twelve. I might have seen twelve. I can't remember. I've definitely not seen thirteen. I love this next response. So uh, Max Byrne said Deadpool two. I love that you're looking puzzled right now. He was the invisible oh, member of the team. Yeah. You saw him for all of a split second. Well played. That is a gold star again for Max. That's the second time he gets a gold star for his response. Uh, and then uh, Claire uh, Gothamite Claire replied to that and just said LOL to which he said seminal performance <laughs> so then we got BCRD who said Troy will always be one of my favourite movies again one that I've not seen in a very long time no but it's interesting because that was featured heavily uh, uh, by one of the speakers at the conference this week really? yeah oh. it's quite funny hmm so then we had James Stone, who said Fight Club and Inglorious Bastards are two of my favourite films, and his roles are two of my favourite performances in cinema history, not just my favourite Brad Pitt roles. I also loved it when he got kidnapped on Jackass, and then he gave us a link to it. So if you've not seen that, then you should go check that out. Rob, that Robster, said, I have a few because I think he's an incredibly versatile actor. Burn After Reading, Interview with a Vampire, 
Legends of the Fall, Fight Club and Megamind, although I could go on. To which Claire replied and said, Interview with a vampire, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Fury, Ocean's Eleven, Seven, Scared Me So Much, and Meet Joe Black. Forgot about Meet Joe Black. That's a classic. I don't think I've seen that. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's putting that on the watch list. Um, oh, and then she forgot about uh, Moneyball. Don't think I've seen that one. She put Love American Sports Films. I've definitely not seen it. Uh, Emerald Archer said he has a soft spot for Troy and, of course, Fight Club. I've not seen Troy either, actually. You've never seen Troy? No. Yeah, I'm putting that on the list as well, then. Then we have uh, Tam Lizano Driscoll, who said, uh, Hashtag Brad Pitt is very underrated. I enjoyed him in Hashtag Snatch, even if I, can't, if I couldn't understand him sometimes. Bit of a confusing accent. Jim Bob Squarepants said, California and his small role in True Romance are great. My favourite is now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, it's, that's a really interesting one because uh, he was a great role in that film, but I've seen some articles which have really criticised Once Upon a Time saying it's quite anti-feminist and singling out his particular character because for the bulk of that film, you're, you're, you're made. It's constructed for you to enjoy his character and for you to like him and for you to kind of root for him in the end when the the historical events that the film's based on are slightly twisted. Um, but you forget that at the very beginning of the film, you're told that he's no longer really working in Hollywood because he was um, tried for murdering his wife. Although he was never convicted of, of murdering her, it's alluded to that he may well have at least beaten his wife. Uh, and so there's a, there's a school of thought that actually we shouldn't really be feeling for a character that's a bit of a woman beater. And then we had uh, Cost at Costmayer who said the big short. I think I retweeted this and then had a few more responses, so I apologise if I missed anyone, but those are some really great responses. Mm. What is your favourite Brad Pitt movie? Do you know what? After hearing all that, I realise that I've not actually seen very much of Brad Pitt on, on this film. Yeah, mine. my vote goes to Interview with a Vampire. Yep, so mine would be Interview with a Vampire and Seven. Yeah, Seven is an excellent performance as well. And he gave a stunning performance in that episode of Friends. Oh yeah, well I said movie. That's technically TV. Well, okay. I'll let you have that one, considering it's the twenty-fifth anniversary. I realise there's a whole bunch of other things that we've not had time to talk about that we're going to have to save for another time. Uh, we haven't discussed the fact that we went to a Sherlock escape room with the Hulks this last fortnight. Oh yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, uh, we did very well. We Top, did. We're in the forty yes. percent. Where was that? Where was it? All right, say? okay. We're now having a conversation about this. Well, we can so, have a quick chat. <laughs> So you've, you've so, started and they want to know. Yeah, right. Uh, so there is an official Sherlock escape room, uh, which is in London in Shepherd's Bush, which is called uh, The Game Is Now. And it basically puts you in a storyline whereby Sherlock is unavailable and Mycroft Holmes is recruiting uh, new spies, detectives, uh, to help solve a case which may or may not involve the may or may not be dead Moriarty. Uh, and it was really good fun. So we completed it. You have an hour to complete the storyline. We completed it in 58 minutes and 55 seconds. But when we asked, they said only 40% of people actually do it within the time frame. So I think we should be quite proud of ourselves. I think we should be. They're very strict though, weren't they? They were. Um, it was... How many rooms were there? So you go in... I'm not going to spoil the whole thing because it's so it's so worth doing. And you can currently book through the end of this year. And then I think they're going to stretch it out into next year. You go into what's built as a fake opticians. And you then go... Uh, you start out in a kind of recruitment room. Then you go through into... Uh, Sherlock's apartment yep. and I will say no more from there but there are what one two three three rooms after that yeah. and then a bar <laughs> and a bar yeah a really snazzy so, bar yeah really snazzy bar there's a lot to it it's really well I mean it's written by um, 
Moffat and um, I'm going to kick myself for forgetting his name, but the guy that plays Mycroft. So it's written by the writers of the show, and it's work. It's you know, it's the whole thing is built with the creators of the show. So the set design is excellent. The puzzles I thought were really well laid out as well. And we, uh, I was quite proud of the fact that we instantly, where we needed to, split off into pairs to be able to solve multiple things at multiple times. Yeah. yeah. We were quite a well-functioning group, actually. Um, and we, I mean, we, Chris and I both got stumped by maths at one point, but it was while you were trying to wheel, what was it, like three different cranks at the same time. Oh, yeah, I mean, Nicola had to turn three cranks at different speeds to maintain a speed on the red dial. It was very difficult. <laughs> But it was really good fun, really, really good fun, um, and I would highly recommend it. So I'll put the link in the in the description for this. Uh, but yeah, we had we haven't had that much time to talk about that. No. Then we went to the podcast festival and watched the pilot TV podcast live featuring Russell Tovey, um, and and now this is it. This is our last episode before New York. The next time we record, we will be in New York City. New York, New York. I have to say a big thank you to Claire for uh, suggesting some locations at which we might be able to record. Rather than our hotel room. Mm. Yeah. I feel like you may have told me them, but I may have forgotten. I think you liked the tweet, to be honest. Did I? I yeah. might have done. It's been a very long week. <laughs> so, uh, what else have we got to tell people about that I'm very excited about in the next two weeks? Um, we're going to see a film this week. We're going to a UK premiere on sh- uh, Wednesday. I keep saying Tuesday, but Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. I don't, I don't even want to say it because it's so exciting. So it's from that from that dastardly clown, clown prince, prince of, of crime. crime. <laughs> uh, yes, we're going to uh, to the UK premiere of Joker on Wednesday. Uh, we don't yet know quite who's going to be there, but Warner Brothers has forewarned us that there's going to be uh, an extended discussion after the film. And I know that the director and Joaquin Phoenix are in the country doing press at the moment. So <sighs> hold on to your knickers. But <laughs> uh, so actually. Well, as you are probably listening to this, as we release on Wednesday, we'll be we'll be preparing, if not sitting and watching the film, which is just so exciting, and I cannot thank Warner Brothers enough for the invite to that one. So we will we will speak to you next from New York, which is really exciting. Uh, if there's anything you want to suggest that we do while we're out there, then let us know. We've got New York Comic Con for four days, and uh, yeah, other than that, fair game. We've got um, Beetlejuice. Yeah, we've seen well. Beetlejuice the musical while we're out there. Uh, we've got a little date night set with the Hulks where we're going to go up the Empire State Building. I'm getting interviewed, I think, for this Your Podcast or Mine podcast. Oh, yeah. Should be fun. Yeah. And I just want to say a quick huge thanks again to uh, to Nick, Harry and to Luke for, for the interview in this week's podcast. Definitely go check out Odyssey when it's released on October the 9th. So until next time, Super Friends, this is us signing off. Bye! Bye.